Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. If you could open up your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We have been going through the book of 1 Thessalonians, and when we finish this, the next time I get the opportunity to come up here, we'll start in 2 Thessalonians. You see the uh, slide up there. It says, living within view of the finish line. Living within view of the finish line. And hopefully if you've been following us through 1 Thessalonians, remember that this book that Paul wrote on his second missionary journey was to a brand new church. And isn't it interesting that to this brand new church, he went right into the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ. Many churches neglect prophecy. Thank God this is not one of them. But for a brand new church with brand new believers, Paul went in there and taught them about the catching up of believers, the resurrection of the dead to meet them with their glorified bodies in the air. And then as we get into 2 Thessalonians, we'll see more about the second coming of Christ. Two distinct events, not one, but two distinct events. Talked last time about the rapture of the church where God catches up all the believers into the clouds. He comes for them in the air. The second coming of Christ is when he comes for, he comes down on the earth with the believers with him to set up his kingdom for a thousand years in a place called the Middle East. Jerusalem, Israel, a lot going on in Jerusalem and Israel over this past couple of years, but it's really over the past 48 hours. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. If you are f- following biblical prophecy, there's a lot of things going on over there that are falling right in line with the second coming of Christ. And if the second coming of Christ is close, how much closer is the rapture of the church? Pretty exciting stuff. Living within view of the finish line. The finish line being with Jesus Christ. We all know this, that in one stop of the heart, we could be at the finish line. We could be face to face with our Savior, our Lord. We can fully understand everything once we see Him. We'll understand the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now with our finite minds, it's hard to grasp that, right? It's hard to to do that. Last time we looked how there's going to be a time that, once again, Jesus will interrupt history. 
in the smallest measurable increment of time, and you can read about this in 1 Corinthians 15, 52, he will harpazo, he will catch away, he will snatch with a violent force, and it will remove the church from the earth. Remember, we're living in the church age right now. Church age has been going on for almost 2,000 years. Think about that. A couple thousand years has been the church age. And the Bible is full of prophecy about things that are going to take place before the second coming of Christ. And notice at the speed of light, he's going to transform the body of the believer in which there's corruption. I don't know about anybody here that's over 30 or well over 30. You don't look like you're 30 anymore. And you guys that are in your 20s, just because you think you're studs, you don't look like you did when you were 15. Right? We have a body of corruption. No matter what we do, it can slow down the process, but it can't reverse the process. And one day... This corrupted body will put on incorruption, and the mortal will put on immortality. We know that Jesus was about 33 years old, so wouldn't it be cool we were all just 33 forever? You older people are shaking your head, you younger people saying, nah, I want to stay a young stud, I don't want to hit 30. It's all a matter of perspective, isn't it? Where, how, where we're viewing it from, on what side of the age bracket. The blessed hope of the church is just that, that there's going to be a generation, a lot of people think it's this generation, that's going to avoid death. How cool would that be, everybody, regardless of our age, that if we would be, avoid death and be caught up in the air to meet Jesus in the clouds. That would be a great adventure. That would be a wild trip to take. Now Paul, in both of these letters, tell, tells the people, he's trying to give them comfort. He's trying to give them encouragement. We too need to take encouragement and comfort in the words that Paul is sharing. We need to do that. And we're going to look at that tonight in chapter 5. And Paul, in chapter 5, is going to build on that theme of the end time. Eschatology, it's called. End times. So let's jump in to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. In verse 1, Paul is saying, but concerning the times and the seasons. Now, remember, he was already at Thessalonica, this church, the new believing church in Thessalonica. Okay? We saw maps a few months ago where that was located, the beauty of the area. But he's saying, hey, I've already been there. I've been with you, my dear brothers and sisters, 
and I've covered things with you. And yes, I was chased out of there. And I'm way down south from you now. But you're my brothers and sisters. We're going through this together. And we can never forget that, right, you and I, that no matter what we're going through individually, we should be going through it together. We should be praying for one another, comforting one another, encouraging one another, visiting one another, whatever it takes to help that brother or sister who's struggling. Remember, this new church in Thessalonica thought they missed the great snatching away, the rapture of the church. They, they thought that their loved ones who had passed away before Paul taught them about the rapture and the second coming. What was going to happen to them? Well, Paul writes this letter. The previous four chapters, part of that was to comfort them, to let them know it hasn't happened yet. Everything's still on course to the way it's supposed to be and when it's supposed to happen in God's timing. Verse 2, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Some of you might remember back in 1972, the name of that movie was Thief in the Night. It was one of the first things visually that I saw where it talked about the rapture of the church, that believers would be taken away. I was only like a sophomore or junior in college at that time. And I was saying, wow, what is all this? And it made me ask questions to people who said that they were Bible-believing, born-again Christians. And boy, that just started a whole series of investigations and adventures of finding out more and more about what the Lord had prophesied. Like a thief in the night, Matthew 24 42 to 44 says, Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, we know that in a heartbeat we could be with the Lord. Question always, and a healthy question, is are we ready for that moment? Part of Paul's concern was that the people that he was teaching and ministering to was were they living on the cutting edge waiting for the Lord to come and take them at any time? Think about the healthiness of having that mindset, right? Knowing that the Lord could come back at any moment. That keeps you on course, that keeps you focused, that keeps you true to what the Holy Spirit is guiding you to do. Another uh, scripture is in Mark 13, 35. It says, watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. Could be in the evening, could be at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning. Lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping, and what I say I say to all, is watch. We know the story of the ten virgins. You've heard it many times. Five virgins were ready, five weren't. They didn't have oil in their lamp. For you and I, that oil is the Holy Spirit, walking in the Spirit, living in the light of what God is revealing to you through His Word and through your time with Him. Watch, be ready. That's so crucial for all of us. 
And we need to keep each other alert and watching. For that day is coming. That time will come. Whether it's on this side for us of eternity or we're on the other side viewing it. It's going to happen on either side of eternity for us. Verse 3. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. Notice in verse 3 and 4, the two categories of people. Everybody is in one of those two categories, aren't they? They have to be either those who are going to end up in sudden destruction. They're not going to escape from that. Or in verse 4, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and taking him as your Lord and Savior, the brothers and sisters there are not in darkness. So that this day, what day is Paul referring to? Well, he's referring back to chapter 4 is the day of the rapture of the church when the believers are taken out. Now, the people that lived at this time in Thessalonica, we know they've been dead for a long time. They are now going to be the ones who come with the Lord in the clouds to meet us in the air. There's going to be a reunion right there or a first-time meeting. But for those of you who know your Bible, you're going to know some of those guys and girls up there from your Old and New Testament. And how wild is that going to be? That's going to be amazing. And I want to encourage you with this. There's going to be some of those Old Testament and New Testament saints that are looking forward to meeting you. Think about that. Because they've seen what you've been through. They know the struggles, the journeys of your life. And you're going to have a common bond. And we know who that is. And that's going to be, of course, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, in verse 3, it says, They shall not escape the wrath. That wrath is not man's wrath. This wrath that Paul is relating to is what we know as the tribulation time. The tribulation when we will be with Jesus at the wedding supper of the Lamb while this earth is going through the wrath of God. That is a day that is coming. And we'll see a little down here further that we're going to be escaping that wrath. Doesn't mean we're not going to have sicknesses and trials and tribulations. That isn't wrath. That's part of this life that started the sin cycle back in the Garden of Eden. It was supposed to be a paradise. But we are sinners. We were born in sin. But one day God's going to restore it back to that beautiful garden where there's no more sin, no more sickness, no more decay. Luke 21.34 says, But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life. And that day comes on you unexpectedly. As a teacher of 44 years in a public school, 
what I'm seeing more and more now in the last few years with all this vaping and drinking and different drugs are the kids are insensitive to the things that are happening around them. They are clueless to world events. They are clueless to the things of God. They're desensitized. How many adults are in this same boat where the cares of this life, the carousing, the party spirit, the drunkenness, but we're going to look at a little bit tonight, not only physically, but spiritual drunkenness, spiritual carousing, spiritually weighed down with the cares of this life. Ephesians 5.8, directed to you and to me, you were once in darkness, but now you are in the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light. See, there's those two categories. There's children of darkness and children of light. If you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are to continue to abide in him so you're always a child of the light. That you don't keep going in and out of light and darkness. You're following Jesus who is the light of the world. Acts 26, 18 says, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Notice in that verse in Acts 26, 18, that Satan is brought into it and that God is opening up our eyes from the darkness we once were in to walk into into the light of him. And that if you're in the darkness, you're in the power of Satan. He's got you bound in that darkness. Once we are exposed to the light and embrace the light of Christ, we receive forgiveness of our sins. We are now inheriting a new life in Christ, and we are set apart by faith in Jesus versus those people who are held in bondage of the darkness. Verse 5, you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. You are children of light, everybody, if you're a believer in Christ. You're a children of the day. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're his own special people. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You who were once blind, spiritually blind and in darkness. He's rescued that from you from that. But he's not done. He's, he's done that rescuing for a reason. His love for you, but also his love for those who are still in the darkness. And how you and I can be a snatcher of those people out of the dark into a light as we follow Christ. Romans 13 11 says, and do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, 
not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. Now, from a physical standpoint, if you take any of those sins I just listed, the drunkenness, uh, lewdness, lust, strife and envy, they're all connected. Usually one leads to the other. It's a whole smorgasbord of sins. They're all connected. It's all part of Satan's um, strategy to get you involved in any of those things because it leads to another. But we have been rescued from this. But the thing I want to emphasize right now is to wake out of sleep. It's very easy for a believer in Jesus Christ to be spiritually sleeping. It's very easy for a believer in Jesus Christ to be sleeping. And we want to look at that a little bit as we go on. Verse 6 and 7. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. In Ephesians 5.14, it says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. We need to realize at one time, we were spiritually dead. We became born again when Christ shed his grace on us. That woke us up, and we were walking in the light. We want to keep our light shining so everybody sees it. We do that by what you're doing tonight, by your individual devotion and Bible study, by praying to the Lord, by reaching out and loving other people. This keeps your light burning bright. Never become a sleeping Christian, one who isn't actively pursuing the Lord each and every day. That's so important. And maybe you're been complacent. Maybe you feel that you've been dry, spiritually speaking. Tell the Lord that. Tell him you need a fresh outpouring of his spirit. Because I can tell you through his word, he wants you to be that person that is on fire and overflowing for him. Proverbs 19.15 says, Laziness casts one into a deep, deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. And again, I want to just, because most of you here are believers, laziness spiritually can put you into a deep sleep. Laziness spiritually speaking. Being idle spiritually, you'll suffer spiritual hunger. You'll have spiritual hunger cramps. God wants you to eat of his word daily, to be washed by the water of the word. He wants you to be awake. He wants you to be alert. Can you imagine if the person you loved, you only spoke to them a few minutes a day? God wants to speak to us all the time. That's why he says, pray without ceasing. Speak to me without ceasing. I want to always communicate with you, my loved ones. I love you. I want to talk to you. 
You might have heard the saying that seven days without prayer makes one week. Seven days without prayer makes one week. But you know what? It's more like every moment without prayer can make you weak for the next moment, right? Just a moment without that fellowship and abiding in Christ can make you fall that next moment. So continue to pray. Talk to God. Continue to meditate on His Word. Hide His Word in your heart. Be heavenly minded. Think about those things that God is promising you that you're going to experience one day in the glory of heaven. Okay, let's go to verse 8 of chapter 5. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. Putting on the breastplate of faith and love. What does a, uh, a Roman soldier, again, just picture that soldier's armor and a breastplate. What is that protecting? You know, it's protecting your vital organs, but it's protecting your heart. You know, and when you have God's word in your heart, you won't sin against him, but you need to know his word. You need a fresh outpouring of his word in your life every day because that's going to protect your heart. God knows what's coming every day in our lives, right? He knows what we're going to face tonight, tomorrow. The enemy is trying to throw fiery darts at us. And if we don't have that breastplate on, if we don't have our shield of faith, you know, if we don't have the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, our feet covered you know, in the, the armored boots of carrying his word, we don't have the sword of the Spirit ready to go. We're vulnerable, right? We're vulnerable. So God always wants us, even when we go to bed, to have our armor on. To be ready for when we wake up in the middle of the night and maybe there's something attacking us. Could be the worries of the world. Could be a, definitely a, another form of a spiritual attack. And we're going to look at a couple things that could happen as we close in a um, little later. The worries of this life are like a trap, aren't they? We've all been down that worry lane, haven't we? The worry way and how it zaps your energy. Could be, you know, I'm seeing some students here, you know, trying to get through the finals of your exams, you know, wondering how you did on your grades. And I think of Colossians 3, just do it all in the name of the Lord. You know, if you put it in the time, you just do the best you can as unto the Lord. How about the helmet of salvation? The helmet and the hope of salvation. Now remember when Paul was writing to these guys and girls in Thessalonica, the hope of salvation that he was talking about was not only salvation for eternity, but he was also the salvation of one day being caught up, the hope of being caught up in the air with Jesus. So we need to look at it the same way. Are we ready? Are we alert? Do we have our mind covered, protected, 
Boy, there's so much that can bombard our mind and get into our hearts, isn't it? The things that we read, see, the things that are going on throughout the world or our country, the things that are happening in our family. You know, when you get sick or something and the things that are going on in your head about the, uh, the um, shortness of our lives. But God wants us to have that helmet of salvation on, knowing that he went to the cross, he died, he rose. He's given us the hope. Just, just as Jesus rose from the dead, if we have to go through that death, if we have to die, that we're going to be risen with Christ. And in the moment we die, what happens? We're present with the Lord. And one day we'll have our resurrected bodies, our, our incorruptible bodies. We need to have that mindset. And that mindset only comes through getting into God's word. Okay, let's take a look at uh, verses 9 and 10. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. And here we see again that we're not appointed to wrath. Where the wicked are going to be punished for rejecting Jesus Christ. Now those who have died already without Christ, they're in hell. They're already experiencing the wrath of God. It's people on this earth that if they were to die tonight would go right into the hell fires. But this wrath that we're talking about here, that Paul that we can see in 1 Thessalonians 1 through 5, is the wrath that's coming one day during that time that we know is the tribulation where Jesus undoes the seals in Revelation 6, and all those seals, all the vials, everything is just poured out on a Christ-rejecting earth. And that's one of the things in that movie, 72, Thief in the Night, it showed the different stages of the things that are coming on this earth. But <clears throat> you and I are not appointed, <clears throat> excuse me, for that wrath. Because in Christ, He takes us away. We're not going to go through that. Thank God and glory to Him for that. We have salvation, as last verse 9 says, through Jesus Christ, who's our Lord, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. We're one in Christ. We're one in the body of Christ. We're connected in our spirits with none other than Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit that is a guarantee given to each one of you. A glorious thing. Verse 11, Therefore comfort each other and edify one another, just as we're doing. I've seen it. I've seen it in this body. People encouraging, praying for one another, building each other up. We can never stop doing that, regardless of how old we get. <clears throat> and it doesn't matter how young you are. God calls us to be encouragers, to lift each other up. Okay, ver verses 12 and 13. 
And we urge you, brothers, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Verse 12, that urging that Paul is giving to the brothers and sisters in this church is to recognize those who are working among you. That is not just pastors and elders. It's the body of believers right here that are working together. Now, we need, all of us need, to be perceptive and don't take for granted those who God has put next to you or in your life. Those people are next to you to teach you, to tell you, to warn you, to pray with you, to laugh with you, to cry with you. But we're all part of that. That is not one segment of the church. A healthy church, a living church, are doing these things as individuals. And then we collectively are that team that's making that work. We're all responsible for that team effort. We're all doing it. And again, doesn't matter the age, young or old. We're all playing a part in God's body. And verse 13 says, And to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Don't be jealous or envious or judgmental or wishing you were in their shoes. It's a soul issue. It's a soul issue. If you're feeling envious and judgmental, if you're feeling that you should wish you were in those shoes, those are feelings and emotions that you need to give to the Lord because He has a special place just for you as an individual in His body. And right now, that body being Calvary Chapel Crossfields. You are an integral piece in that whole body of Christ that He has here and then collectively with the body of Christ throughout the world. Verse 14 and 15. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. Uphold the weak. Be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Now that exhortation in Verse 14 is a begging, it's an encouragement. Paul is begging them to warn those who are unruly in your church. And that unruly is like disorderly or out of order. One of the terms it comes from is a military where the guys are marching and one of the soldiers is out of line. So if I'm one of those soldiers marching, and I'm out of line, man, I want one of my buddies to get me back in line before the sergeant reams me. So you and I are encouraged by God to tell each other in love, hey, you know, I just want to you know, give you a heads up here. Can we talk about what you're talking about right now or saying or being critical of somebody in the body or... You know, um, 
Why don't we pray for that person instead of gossiping about them or slaying them? Let's pray right now for that person. And all of a sudden, you're bringing it back under the headship of Christ. It's not under the headship of the flesh. It says, comfort the faint-hearted. Who are the faint-hearted in 14? Well, you know what? Those could be new believers who are timid, spiritually speaking. They really are just um, not yet mature in the faith because they're baby Christians. Or that could be somebody whose personalities, they're just timid. You know, I see that in coaching. Could be a great ball player, but they're timid. They don't have that aggressiveness. So you try to build it into them. You try to get them in that mindset. So our thing to do with believers that are timid or they lack courage, they, 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 they feel fearful, is to encourage them. Uphold the weak and be patient. Another word for patient is be long-suffering. Well, I, I, I can't be long-suffering, Pastor Vinny. Well, yeah, you can because Jesus has been long-suffering with you and me, right? He's been patient with us. My goodness. Can you imagine if he wasn't patient with us? We'd be crispy critters. So we need to be patient and long-suffering with those people. And believe me, that's a test of your heart, isn't it? If you're running out of patience with a fellow believer, regardless of their maturity or lack of. Being slow to punish, being slow, just being loving to, to others. You know, I was thinking about week, you know, Eeyore with, um, help me, Winnie the Pooh. Oh, you want to go to church with me today? Oh, I don't think I'm going to go to church today. It's too sunny out. I might have a ray of sunlight in my eye and crash into the next telephone pole. Do you want to be that kind of a believer? Or do you want to be a vibrant believer in Jesus Christ who is saying, hey, you've got to come out and check out what we're doing. Or you've got to come out. We're going through Isaiah on Sundays. You've got to hear. It's so full of prophecies that our things are going on. You have an excitement about the things that we believe. If not, ask God to give you that energy, that excitement. I think Jesus attracted others because not only of his love, but his personality and his love just shown, his personality just shown to other people. Verse 15 says, See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. And we know in Matthew 5, it says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then he gives us a list. It's like a firing squad list in verses 16 through 22. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. Now, is everything only when things are going your way? When's everything? It's everything. It's not just the stuff that makes you feel good. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And remember, a lot of times if we don't give thanks, maybe we're in our flesh and not in Christ. That if we can't give thanks for everything. 
Now, we might not know why everything's going on in our life that's really a thorn in our side or whatever it's causing in our spirit. But you know what? God does. And are we going to put our faith in the thing that's going on or our own reasoning? Or are we going to put our faith in God who's in control of our lives? In Christ, out of Christ. Verse 19, do not quench the spirit is another thing that we're being told that he's urging us to not only rejoice and pray without ceasing and giving thanks, but don't quench the spirit. The Holy Spirit is a third person of the Blessed Trinity. He is God in you. He is in you, helping you get through this life. He's bringing you to the finish line. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He's your comforter. He's your helper. He's who Jesus sent. He sent His Holy Spirit. Remember, He told His apostles, His followers, to now go back to your town. Go wait until I send you the helper, the comforter. Well, that's the Holy Spirit, who each one of you have that have put their trust in Christ. Now, how do we suppress the Holy Spirit? How do we suppress that fire of the Holy Spirit in us? Well, by being a bad example, by having a poor attitude, by not allowing the Holy Spirit to express Himself in your life, by living like a pagan instead of a daughter or a son of the light, by being angry all the time, by stealing, by cursing, by being bitter, by being unforgiving or sexually immoral, acting in any sinful manner, following any worldly desire, is quenching the Holy Spirit. We are children of the King. Why would we go back to the garbage dumps when we are heading for a feast which none other than Jesus Christ and His Father and the Holy Spirit? We're going, everybody. That's going to happen. That's a day that is coming into all of your lives that have placed their trust in Jesus. Verse 20, do not despise prophecies. Do not despise prophecies. Wanted to see, let me see. If, yeah, it's right here. Um, the Greek word translated prophesying or prophecy is in both passages, probably means to speak forth or declare the divine will, to interpret the purpose of God, or to make known in any way the truth of God, which is designed to influence people. Many people misunderstand the gift of prophecy to be the ability to predict the future. While knowing something about the future may sometimes have been an aspect of the gift of prophecy, it was primarily a gift of proclamation, forthtelling not a prediction of foretelling. Now, the Bible is filled of thousands of prophecies by the prophets. But tonight, this is prophecy. This is, this is telling you the teachings of Christ. Don't ever despise the teachings of Christ. Don't ever despise the pr prophetical word of God. Verse 21, test all things. Hold fast what is good. How do you test all things? Through his word. If you know God's word, it's easy to test all things. If you're not sure, get into his word. 
Ask an elder, a pastor, ask a believer in Christ who's a, a mature person. Abstain, uh, abstain from every form of evil, verse 22. And then in closing, verse 23 on. Now may the God of peace, there's only one, there's peace in no other name but of Jesus Christ. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Remember what that word sanctify means, is to set you apart. May God himself set you apart. And may your whole spirit, your soul and body, be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Your whole spirit, your born-again spirit, your soul, your emotions, your mind, may it all be under the power of God's Holy Spirit. And your body, your body was purchased at a price. Use your body to edify Christ. And be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24, He who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. Jesus is calling each one of us to be faithful. He's calling each one of us to the purpose that He's given us birth for. And He will do it. In Philippians 1.6 it says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Until we meet Jesus face to face, he will keep on doing that work in you that he started when you received him as your Lord and Savior. And then in closing, brothers, sisters, pray for us. We need to pray for you. You pray for us. Pray for the people next to you. Continually pray. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. You know who I thought of when I read this one? Mike O'Grady. All right? If you had the privilege of knowing Mike when you came into this church, most likely you got a holy kiss. Okay, but it says, greet each other with a sign of affection, with a sign of love. If you don't know people, meet them and greet them. Step out of your comfort zone. Know each other. Verse 27, I charge you by the Lord that the epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road, in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.